From digital horsemanship, this is Finding the Field, bringing you stories and insights from today's most inspiring horsemen and women. People are so stuck in what happened in the past and what may happen in the future that they miss what's going on right now in this moment. And horses are so in the moment animals. Welcome back to Finding the Feel, where we sit down with great horse people and talk about great horses. I'm here today with Julie Goodnight. She's a certified CHA master instructor and clinician. She travels the world helping people improve their relationships with their horse and get the most out of their horse through kindness and safety. She has a TV show on RFD TV called Horse Master with Julie Goodnight. Hi, Julie. Thanks so much for being here. Thank you, Kaylin. It's great to be here. So fill in the gaps from that intro. Tell us a little bit more about yourself, your business. Oh, gosh. Well, if someone asks me what I do, I still say I'm a horse trainer because that's the easiest answer. But I don't really do as much of that as I do public speaking, educating. Uh, I still do a lot of clinics where I have the chance to work one-on-one with uh, people and their horses. But, um, yeah, so we, we basically turned into a media company. So we produce a lot of media, video, audio, uh, all kinds of stuff. So. Cool. And so today then, what, what would you say you specialize in? What would I specialize in? I think, uh, well, for me, my true passion in this whole endeavor is understanding horse behavior and how that relates to how we train horses. So I, I suppose, you know, I'm not sure. That's what I think of myself. I'm, I think that if you ask other people that, they would probably say, oh, she's the one that teaches people how to ride better. I seem to be better known for that. Um, but my true passion is in studying and understanding horse behavior and how we can use that information to, um, to train horses in, in a sensible way. Going all the way back to your early years, was there a particularly special horse that left their mark on you? Oh, yeah. Well, you know, they, the old timers say you're lucky to have one great horse in your lifetime, I believe I'm probably on my fourth or fifth horse of a lifetime. Um, and starting with my very first horse when I was a kid was a, a old Morgan mare. She was a family horse, just, you know, as common as the day is long. But, you know, she she was my everything. She was my world. And she died of old age when I was 14, and I, I thought I was going to die. I, that was kind of the first time in my life I ever lost someone or something and so my dad went out and found me a made show horse and this horse had been left idle for a couple of years it was the classic kid had gone to college horse stood in the pasture so he was fat and hairy and out of shape but he was a push button hunter i don't know he brought that horse home i'm gonna say on a thursday and on saturday i went to a horse show i'd ridden the horse like one time and I went to this horse show, and um, you, you know, before you ride a jump course, you trot what they call a courtesy circle. So you trot halfway around the circle, and then you pick up the canter, and then you proceed to ride your course. Well, this horse was just so well-trained that if you didn't push the buttons right, he wasn't, you know, going to do it. So I started my trot and we trot halfway around the circle and I did not know how to cue him from trot to canter. So he stayed at the trot. So we trotted the whole course. He went over the jumps and everything at the trot. 
and uh, it was embarrassing and we obviously we didn't do very well in that class but it 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 was enlightening in the fact that like okay i have to ride this horse a specific way i have to ride him correct he he knows what's correct um so after trotting the whole course well, i figured out how to cue him to canter from trot to canter and and we went on we went on to win a lot and we won a lot that day and um you know, he was the kind of horse where if I got second place, there was a, it was disappointing. But I learned, you know, you you have to a rider has to have the opportunity to ride a finished horse. How can no matter how good a trainer you are, you can't train a horse to that level if you don't know what that level is. If you've never done that level of riding, how could you train a horse to that level? So I think uh, that horse made me in a lot of ways because it was my first um, glimpse into what a highly trained horse is like. What was his name? George. George. <laughs> his registered name was Jagon, and uh, but we, I don't know why we called him George. <laughs> what was his personality like? You know, some horses have a sense of humor. So we used to let he used to be able to walk loose at the at the boarding facility, you know, we'd just turn him loose because he wouldn't go anywhere. And uh, I remember he would hide behind bushes. And so his big old body would be sticking out behind this bush, but his head would be down behind the bush. And and then you'd go look out at him, and he'd lean his head out behind that bush and see you and go right back, put his head behind the bush. But his old big body would be sticking out, so he thought he was hiding Anyway, great, great horse, and uh, I was, you know, I was really fortunate as a as a kid to have not only a father who recognized my passion and made sure I had good trainers and good instructors, um, but he also made sure I had good horses too. So I went to college, and you got a job riding thoroughbreds mm-hmm. on the racetrack. Mm-hmm. What, what was that like? Um, so when I went to Albuquerque and there were race tracks there and a lot of the jobs on breeding farms came with a place to live. So that was convenient. And and then when I started riding racehorses, uh, mind you, again, back then there weren't a lot of girls doing that because in fact, while I was riding racehorses, the first female jockeys started being able to ride. They started first licensing female jockeys. And that was a very rough road for those women. They they were not welcomed, and I don't know. I'm not sure they are today, but uh, back then it was rough. And um, so, but I got hooked in with a really great racehorse trainer, and he trains in Lexington now. Um, but then he was in Albuquerque, and so it it was great because all I was doing was riding these horses. You know, you get on, you ride for five minutes. It's like a five six minute ride on every horse. Um, I, I loved it. I loved my time at the racetrack, and I learned a lot about horses from a whole different perspective. What's something that you learned that sticks with you to this day? On racehorses? Yeah. Um, well, uh, one thing that sticks with me that I, I generally talk about in every clinic I do is the tighter you hold the reins, the faster the horse goes. And, and that's real real obvious in racehorses when you you know when you want a racehorse to stop you just loosen the reins and you you ride them on heavy heavy contact and the heavier the contact the faster they go and and they're galloped every day that way and so but all that's true of all horses really if you 
hold relentless contact on them, they eventually start running through that pressure and running through the bridle. Uh, it's just that racehorses and thoroughbred type horses do it quicker than other horses, but any horse will do that eventually. Can you tell us a little bit why that is? Yeah, I, I can tell you why I think it is. I'm not sure anyone really knows for a fact, but um, first of all, there, there's different factors. One is I talk a lot about the difference between static pressure and dynamic pressure. So static means unchanging, dynamic means constantly changing. Horses res respond really well to dynamic pressure. So a little pulsating pressure um, they will move away from. Static pressure, unchanging pressure, horses tend to lean into. And you can do this little experiment. I do it all the time in clinics. If you, you know, walk up to a horse and just take your finger and kind of poke him lightly with it two, three, four times, he'll step away from you. But if you take the palm of your hand and press and lean on him, he will, in short order, start leaning into your hand. So... I have learned through the years that horses tend to move away from dynamic pressure but into static pressure. And so when you pull statically and relentlessly on the reins, they start leaning on it and moving into it. That's one factor. Another factor is that when you pull um, constant and relentless pressure on the horse's mouth, no matter what he does, he and he he's lo he's been searching for a way to get out of that contact. You know, he's been saying, well, "What if I do this? What if I do that? What if I do that?" But nothing makes the contact go away. Um, he is, of course, becoming increasingly uncomfortable in his mouth, and so he's and because of that static pressure, he starts leaning on it. But I think the the speed factor comes into play because horses are flight animals and what they are programmed to do is run away from things that bother them. And so they're running through the pressure that's bothering them. They're just, they're just running away from it or running through it. And uh, so though I, I don't know that anyone really knows the answer to that, but that's just what I think it is. In riding these thoroughbreds on the racetrack, were there any special horses or horses that taught you something or gave you a huge lesson? The one horse I would say that, affected me most profoundly and and it wasn't just the horse it was the trainer as well uh, we would we would start these long yearlings at, at the farm we would ride them in a round pin in a western saddle the first week and then on monday of the following week uh, no matter what those horses went in a flat saddle and out to the track i mean it's just the way you did it you had with that one week in the round pin and ready or not, on Monday, they were out on the flat track in a flat saddle. And so this horse was a, a stud colt, and he was big, and he was bronchy. He was a good horse. He just he came out owning the world, you know. And so anyway, I got on him the first day, and he bucked so hard. He bucked me so hard. I stayed on, but my legs were just black and blue. And the next day, same thing. He bucked, he bucked, he bucked. Um, this went on all week long. Um, but uh, he never bucked me off because, you know, he's just a round pin. And so come Monday, flat saddle, out on the track, 
um, got halfway around the track. He bro- broke into bucking. I stayed on him. This went on for a couple of more days. And then um, on that third day, I went out there, and he bucked again. Each day it was kind of a little bit less, and I was getting less intimidated by it, and he was putting less effort into it. And I got back to the barn that day, and the trainer stayed at the barn and just kind of watched you go around, you know, but it's a, it's a mile track, so you're getting quite a bit of ways from him. And so I got back to the barn, and he said, well, how did that go? And I being, a, you know, I was probably 20 and very cocky rider, and I was a girl trying to prove herself in a man's world, you know, and I so I said very cockily, I said, well, I think if I can get him to buck one more time, I'll have him licked. And that trainer got up in my face and he poked me in the chest and he said, don't you ever pick a fight with one of my horses. Don't you ever pick a fight with one of my horses. And that was a very profound moment for me in my entire career. Um, And I do believe that it it shaped me in, in that moment as a trainer because I realized First of all, what a stupid thing I had just said. If I can only get him to buck one more time. I didn't want that horse to buck the first time or the second time or the fifth time. I, of course, did not want this horse to buck one one more time. And it was not about me licking the horse or beating the horse, you know. it it What an embarrassing thing to have said. I, I just, as soon as I said it, or as soon as he poked me in the chest and pointed it out to me, I realized what a stupid thing I had said. You never want to pick a fight with a horse. The chances of you losing a fight are huge. Never pick a fight with a horse. Sometimes in all our best efforts, we will find ourselves in a fight with a horse. And once you do, it's really important that you win that fight. But never set that fight up. Why would you do that? Why would I you know, walk out onto the street and pick a fight with someone who was way bigger and way meaner than me, you know, it's just, it's just dumb. So I really, I really learned from that instance. I didn't, I learned that horse in particular, I didn't want to pick a fight with. And I learned never, ever in my career would I intentionally set out to pick a fight with a horse. I'm not afraid of a fight with a horse, but I will never be the one that starts it. Do you think too, because I think sometimes we even get, we get stuck in that cycle a little bit especially as as amateurs is -hmm. picking that fight with that horse accidentally or on purpose Mm -hmm. do you think that causes some kind of habit of fighting oh absolutely I see it every day I see it in every clinic that I do um and it's it could be any dynamic it could be a dynamic of fighting uh, it could be a dynamic of fear. It could, you know, it could be many, many things. But th- there's a dynamic that exists between you and that horse, and it is only between you and that horse. Because if I step in and get on that horse, that dynamic doesn't exist anymore. So it's definitely something between you and the horse. And we get in. And I, I've written a lot about this lately, and I, I talk a lot about it in clinics. But, um, you know, people just. Uh, People need to look at the situation and see, you know, what am I doing that's contributing to this? And then also people people are so stuck in what happened in the past and what may happen in the future that they miss what's going on right now in this moment. 
And horses are so in the moment animals. So if that dynamic that you're talking about to me is most often a result of a person that is stuck in something that happened previously with this horse. They're all they're thinking about is when's it going to happen again? He's going to do it again. I know it. And they're projecting all of that onto the horse and it becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy. So when you, we all know that, you know, when you ride that horse, like nothing ever happened or you, you know, he wants to spook at that thing and you just look past it and keep going like nothing ever happened, how they respond. So yeah, the, 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 the dynamic between a horse and a rider is huge. And it's all the rider because the horse always changes. As soon as the rider changes her dynamic, the horse always changes. So then trying to get out of, out of that cycle, is it just self-awareness? Well, it's actually, I think, even more difficult than self-awareness. Um, I think there is very much a lack of self-awareness, but there's also subconscious behavior going on and it's very difficult to consciously change behavior that you're not aware you're doing so if and we see this in groundwork all the time a horse steps into the space of the person and the person unthinkingly steps out of the space of the horse with no awareness of what she just did well so then that horse gradually becomes more aggressive and more dominant and you're still stepping out of the way of the horse without awareness. Um, but the horse is always aware of it. And so pretty soon, next thing you know, I've got a problem that my horse is ill-mannered and walking all over me and whatever. Um, but that all started with that one little step you took back that you weren't aware of. People, I see people doing groundwork all the time doing things they're not aware they're doing. They're walking backwards instead of forwards or sideways instead of forwards or they're looking down or doing, you know, got their hand someplace arbitrary where it shouldn't be. And so it's very difficult to change that which you are not aware of yourself doing. So um, first you have to, I think, in a lot of those situations, someone has to bring it to your attention so that you can become aware of it and then self-awareness will, will kick in. But if it's subconscious things that you're doing, whether that's grabbing the reins or leaning forward or um, a lot of little things. So maybe having somebody come out and watch you or even better go find a clinician or a trainer. Yeah, you know, going to clinics. Um, yeah, just, uh, just an objective and knowledgeable set of eyes. I'm not even sure it always has to be knowledgeable because a lot of stuff just makes sense. You know, I think anybody, you wouldn't have to be knowledgeable about horses to watch a horse and a rider and recognize there was a dynamic of nitpicking or um, there was an adversarial relationship or, you know, anyone would pick up on that stuff from watching it, I think. So then you were working at, a ranch or a training facility mm -hmm. and what did they specialize in that was an arabian farm and this was uh, you 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 would be way too young to remember this but this was would would have been back in the early 80s and um it was in the golden era of the arabians and they were really big back then and um, oh, by the way, there were very favorable tax laws, 
And so um, they people could write off these lavish horse uh, operations. And so um, it was basically a tax shelter. And the tax laws changed, I want to say, oh, probably, it must have been, I'm not sure, I would say between 85 and 87. They wiped out all those tax deductions, and overnight the horse industry just just took a plummet, especially Arabians. By the time I left that farm, they were still in operation, but I decided I, I if I was going to, that was about the time when I figured out I probably was going to be in the horse business. I, you know, I was like one day I woke up and I said, you know, I've been doing this for a long time. Maybe this is what I should actually do. I just, it's, it seems stupid to say it now, but it had never occurred to me before. I thought horses was a youth thing and that I would grow out of it. So it was about that time it was occurring to me. Maybe it was a career choice for me. And so then I decided if I was going to do it, it was going to be on my terms. Was there a catalyst moment that made you decide that? Yes, actually, I remember it really well. You know how you just remember those moments? But I was riding a horse, I was in the arena, and I was sobbing. I had just tears running down my face. And I was riding this nice little uh two-year-old, I think it was, you know, also back then we routinely started horses as two-year-olds, and um, nice little two-year-old filly I was riding, and um, I remember it was a beautiful day, I'm out in the arena, surrounded by mountains, where I wanted to be, doing what I love to do, and I was crying, and I thought, what is wrong with this picture? I'm doing something that I love more than anything else in my life, and I'm miserable. Why am I miserable? So I started thinking about it every day, every horse I rode. Why, why am I miserable in this job? And I started thinking about all the things about that job. How could someone be miserable doing something they love to do? So I started thinking about what are the specific things that are causing me this angst? One was riding too many horses. I was riding, you know, 10 or more horses a day. And that's just too much. You can't keep your patience. You can't enjoy it. Um, I was losing patience with young horses I shouldn't have been losing patience with. Um, and so I needed to be able to control the number of horses I rode. And, and I was also training them in ways I didn't approve of. So I was compromising my own personal values. Well, that's one way to make yourself miserable really fast is compromise your own personal values for a job. Um, and not, you know, you're married to a horse job. You're lucky if you only work six days a week and you live on the property and all of that. So I wanted to have more freedom. So uh, as I thought about all of these things that were making me miserable doing something I love to do, I realized if I was going to stay in this business, I had to do, I had to work for myself. So then I, I was kind of stuck in this job because of the place to live and all that. So then I started thinking, well, if, okay, if I'm going to do that, what would that look like? So I started imagining and planning and thinking and, and, and I, and I planned it all out and then I just executed it and I found a facility that had been vacant for some time. 
that the owners were eager to have it operational again and they were willing to give me a free lease on it. If I boarded horses and took trail rides out and provided that service to the community. So I jumped on it and that's when I went into business for myself 31 years ago. So as you're developing your own program and approach to training horses now that you're you're on your own, and this is a question that I like to ask everybody, was there a time where you feel like you really failed a horse and and something that you, you really learned from that? Well, yes. I mean, I think that, I guess this depends on what you mean by failure. I think that if you, if it was something you really learned for, from, it wasn't a failure, was it? Um, I've had a handful of horses in my career that I could not train. And I made the mistake early on, and you, you'll hear trainers say things like this occasionally. It's like, that horse is untrainable. And I... I'm sure I said that and on on the first one maybe but the truth of the matter is someone else could have trained that horse I couldn't train that horse that horse was not trainable for me and that was my weakness and my failure not the horses but nobody says that they say they condemn the horse to a lifetime of whatever by saying they give them a life sentence this horse could never be trained I had a horse come to me as a four-year-old purebred Arabian he might have been three three or four stallion beautiful horse very gentle um, and it was a weird circumstance of an absentee owner and someone not paying bills or whatever that this horse got brought to me and about a week after I had him, I hadn't done anything with him yet, I get a phone call from this guy who was the previous trainer of this horse. Nice guy. And he said, look, I just want you to know, that horse is dangerous. That horse put me in the hospital. He said, "We, I, I was starting him under saddle. And this, was, this guy was a successful trainer. And he said, I was starting this horse under saddle. And um, he just everything was going great and then he just blew up on me one day and ran me into the fence blah 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 and ended up in the hospital he said that horse is dangerous just whatever you do don't get hurt on that horse he was just giving me a heads up he was, was the only reason he was calling me and so I thought hmm okay well something went on there and I think probably this horse needs a break. So I decided to do nothing with him for about 90 days, just let him be a horse. And then I started him over from scratch as if he had never been started before. And he was a big puppy dog. I mean, he was just the easiest horse in the world to train. He went on to be an awesome show horse, kid's horse, the whole nine yards. Was never gelded. This horse remained a stallion all his life. And... um I mean, I've got a picture of my three-year-old son leading this horse. He was so gentle. But anyway, I never could figure out what this guy, what happened there. Except for, we decided to take this horse to a competitive trail ride. And we were taking two horses. And I was riding the other horse, and my friend was riding him. And we were way out 
on the ranch and, um, you know, like long trotting for miles. Well, we were walking to let them have a breather, and the horses were completely out on a draped rein, heads down, and I was walking directly behind her. Had I not been there and seen this, we would have never known. But I just happened to be staring straight at this horse's butt when I see him step on a stick with his hind foot, and that stick pointed straight up and poked him in the testicles. And he just broke into bucking, of course. And the gal riding him, was, she was just sitting there, you know, like la-di-da on a, on a draped rein, so she came right off. And that horse ran off screaming, and then he stopped and he turned around and he ran back to us. <laughs> and, but here was my point about that. So that horse had this history of being quote-unquote untrainable and from having out of the blue exploded and hurt this guy. Well, the same thing happened right then and there, but because I saw what happened, I saw the stick poke him in the testicles, um, we didn't think anything of it. it no big deal. Pet the horse on the neck, jump back up there, and uh, didn't miss a lick. Had I not seen that happen, what would we have thought of that horse? We would have thought, oh, just when we thought we were getting somewhere with this horse, just for, for no reason, out of the blue, he just broke into bucking. So that was kind of a learning lesson, too. It's like, okay, you know, circumstance, circumstances matter. And it's not always, it, if, if the horse can't be trained, it's, it's probably situational, and it's probably that trainer's deficiencies, not the horse. Some horses are easier to train than others, but there's somebody that could have trained that horse. And I have to be a strong enough individual to say to myself, you know, I don't have what it takes to train this horse. But that doesn't mean nobody does. Who, how egotistical is that of me to say, if I can't train this horse, nobody can? Ridiculous. You know, people spend a lot of time thinking about the past of a horse, you know, that made him what he is today. Your horse has some kind of weird quirks. And we spend a lot of time, you know, you hear a lot of people say, oh, I think he was abused or whatever. Maybe that's true. Maybe it wasn't. He Maybe it's just quirky behavior. But you're never going to know the reason why that behavior is there. So just don't worry about it. Just deal with what the animal before you. Yeah, kind of back to that being in the moment. Mm -hmm. What's happening in front of you. Like mm -hmm. you so we're running up here on, on about an hour. I don't want to take up too much of your time. But I do want to talk to you. You talk a lot about leadership and being a leader for your horse. Can you describe for us what you mean by that? Well, you know, uh, first of all, what we're really talking about is dominance and subordinates. But those are ugly words that people don't like. Um, dominance has a very negative connotation. And I think that um, for many people it connotes violence and forcefulness and, and all of that. But it simply means in control of. Um, so it's not a word that, that bothers me. I find myself trying to avoid using it because I know it bothers other people. And so usually we default to leadership. And, and leadership is a beautiful word, and it's something we all want to be and we all want to embrace. Well, I'm not sure if we all want to be leaders. But horses, um, horses just thrive off... Um, strong leadership. They 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 thrive on authority. 
because it makes them feel safe. They, uh, they, they, um, they love authority because it, it brings order to an otherwise chaotic existence. And so the, the trying to get inside the mindset of a prey animal is very difficult for us humans to do. I think us female humans, maybe it's a little easier because there are times when we feel like prey. Mm-hmm. Um, but for, uh, for us in general as humans to really get inside that mindset of a prey animal is very hard for us to do. And we, we want to rationalize that and say, for goodness sakes, you're in a 12 by 12 padded stall. You know, you get room service three times a day and, you know, whatever the pedicures and, you know, you've got this totally controlled, safe existence and you're still afraid of a shadow and people lose patience with that and they get aggravated with that but it's because they do not relate to the mindset of being a prey animal. But that is why horses thrive, authority and strength. Um, If you look at the traits of successful horse people, you will find them to be very deliberate in their actions and emotions, to be um, very methodical, you know, and I want to say slow moving, but I don't mean in a sloth like way. I just mean in a deliberate and methodical way. They're very consistent in their body language and their demeanor that they bring to the interaction with that horse every day. And that strength and that consistency um, brings great comfort to horses. Uh, rules and structure and order. Um, horses are great at following rules when rules are clearly defined and consistently enforced because that's what life in the herd is like. And it, it, I know it's oversaid a lot and it sounds really contrite, but that's really all your horse wants. If you can give your horse the same level of safety and comfort that he gets from the herd, he will want to be with you just as much as he wants to be with that herd because he's getting what he wants, safety and comfort. Those are the two two greatest motivating factors for horses. And um, there always has to be a strong leader in charge of the herd or or it's chaos. So it's big. It's big. And we have a lot to learn from horses in terms of being better people and being better leaders and being more honest with ourselves and, and being honest with our intentions. Um, I don't want to take up too much more of your time, but few more quick rapid fire questions and then then we'll say goodbye. So tell us something that you've changed your mind about semi recently. You know, well, I'll I'll tell you relatively recently. Just, you know, when I grew up, well, we had a horse trainer. We 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 horses came and went, you know. We my dad liked to trade in horses. So we would buy horses, sell horses. You know, we had a few horses that stayed around forever like my old mare, but um, so I grew up, and then in the horse industry, horses come and go. You 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 acquire them and you sell them and whatever. Uh, you might keep a few for their whole life, but usually you don't. And um, never thought much of it. I've come to learn recently that when we jerk a horse out of everything he knows, his his we uproot him entirely from his world of everything he knows the place he knows, the horses he knows, the people he knows, and we load him in a trailer with total strangers, and off he goes, 
having lost everything in his world and having to learn how to cope now in a new place with new people and new horses, the stress that that brings to a horse, um, it, I, I am, and I'm not saying I wouldn't do it. I, I have just, I used to never give any thought to that at all. Just get over it, horse. And now I realize what a huge thing that is for a horse. Some horses will never, you'll never notice they even noticed, you know, some horses will just walk right into that new situation. No pause for thought. They noticed it. They're just, they're just not, act, they're acting like they don't. Um, but for some horses, their world falls apart. And then you hear the buyer of that horse saying, ah, you know, they misrepresented this horse. And I, how many times have you heard somebody say he was drugged? Come on, really? If I had a dollar for every time somebody told me a horse must have been drugged when they look at him to buy, I would be a rich woman. And I know that is not true. Is it possible? Yes. Does it happen a lot? No. Does it happen with as often as you hear it? Never in a million years. You went and looked at that horse in a place that was known to him with people that were known to him, horses that were known to him, an environment that was known to him, and he performed a certain way. We totally uproot him from that life and plunk him down, and you, and you are not the same person that was handling this and riding this horse before. And then he doesn't perform as perfectly as he did there, and now this, you know, it's like we we don't allow the horse to feel these emotions or we don't allow him to make mistakes or have a period of uncertainty as all of us have had in our lives. You know, we, if any of us were in that situation, don't you think someone might say, Hey, let's give her a little bit of time to adapt instead of expect you to perform at the exact same level that you were performing at before. So I've, I've really come full circle on that. I think that when we, and I'm not saying we should never change the home of a horse. I think we just need to do it with more, um, consideration to the to the fact that this is this is very stressful for that horse and we need to ease him we need to ease that burden as much as we can that's our responsibility and and don't um, expect that horse to perform at the same level the first day you get him home give him a break let him let him work into the program and and you know think about what you're doing not what the horse is doing but how, how can I contribute to to helping this horse so start slow and, and just give them some time. Yeah, just be aware of that he might need some transitional time. And how can I support him in this transition? Not be demanding that he give me, 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 me more, you know. Mm -hmm. So what's the best advice you've ever been given as a horse woman? Don't pick a fight with a horse. Yeah, that's a good one. Any parting pieces of guidance? Well, I would say, um, you know, I, I've been teaching, training horses and teaching people for a long, long time. I, I would only train horses like a lot of horse trainers if that were possible, but there's always people attached to horses. So you have to train the people. And, um, so we, we have a motto, kind of an inside motto in my business that we're helping horses one human at a time. But as as the years go by, my teaching evolves. I hope it does. I don't, you know, I, if I'm not getting better every year, I shouldn't be doing this. But I have found recently that 
my teaching has evolved more to teaching people to just have greater awareness of themselves and awareness of their horse and in this moment. And so people get so stuck on things that have happened in the past with their horse and then they project that into the future and they fail to be present in the moment with that horse. And, and what that means is you lose awareness of this horse's current state of mind and this horse's current behavior. And most quote unquote problems that people have with horses are pretty easy to understand and see if you are only aware of what's going on in the moment. You know, it, it amazes me what people miss, like the fact that that horse is pulling towards the gate or, you know, horses can be just like taking the rider to the cleaners um, in his misbehavior. But the rider is so stuck on thinking about this little exercise we're working on, they totally miss all these little subtle behaviors of the horses. That And so uh, what should have been a really little problem escalates into a big one because you missed all the signs leading up to the big problem. And that's usually from just a lack of awareness of your horse and what his motivations are, what he's thinking about, when he's tensing, when he's relaxing, um, and how you're contributing to that. If you want to learn more about Julie, you can go on her website, juliegoodnight.com, look her up on Facebook, on YouTube, and check out her TV show on RFD TV. Anywhere else we can find you? Oh, well, at, um, at clinics and expos all around the country. So uh, my public appearance schedule is always updated on, on my website and Facebook and all that. And um, so I like to travel around the country as much as I can and, and work with different horses and people. So so check it out. Uh, we have a monthly email newsletter that's very informative. and um, And also I have a podcast as well. Yes, check out Julie's podcast. I was listening to it the other day. Um, I was listening to the episode where you talk about if you should give up on your horse or not. Mm, yeah, that was a recent one. It's a tough was, question. It is a tough question and a very good one. And so, yes, go listen to her podcast. Thanks so much for being here. My pleasure. Thank you. Thank you.